Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. I teach linguistics at Columbia University. And notice I said I'm... John McWhorter, rather than I am. As you all know, I just contracted. And despite my saying a show or three ago that I didn't think I could get a whole show out of contractions, so many of you seem to differ that I have decided to take a chance. Now, to tell you the truth, contraction itself isn't as interesting as it may seem. But the reason it may seem interesting is interesting. And you'll see what I mean. Today, we're going to learn a little lesson about how language is like a lava lamp. Yes, it is. And you will see what I mean. First of all, contractions. I think a lot of you know that I'm going to say that contractions go way back. And so it's not something that, as some people seem to understandably think, is something that we are only doing now, that it's somehow a symptom of how slovenly, hear that, folks? Not slovenly, slovenly we are about language. They go way back. And so, for example, Shakespeare, of course, Shakespeare. I'm going to just take a random example. This is from Henry the Fourth, second part. And we can listen to Falstaff. This is Orson Welles. Believe it or not, he's on the Dean Martin Show. Imagine somebody on Jimmy Fallon doing Shakespeare today. He's on the Dean Martin Show and he's doing a speech and he's using contractions. Notice him saying that's and there's. These sober-blooded boys do not love me. A man cannot make them laugh. And that's no marvel. They drink no wine. There's never none of these demure boys come to any proof for thin drink that so overcool their blood that they're generally fools and cowards, which some of us should be too, but for inflammation. Now, what's important is that that's not Orson Welles and all of his living human beingness contracting where Shakespeare wrote out that is and there is. That's actually in the text. Incidentally, I recommend something that has only recently become available. Welles did a wonderful Henriad mashup called Chimes at Midnight in the film version. And the film version is finally available for us to see at home. And it's quite wonderful, highly accessible Shakespeare. It's partly that it's well enunciated. It's partly that it just cuts out the parts that are difficult to understand. But in any case, you can hear this speech in it. And he's saying that's and there. So that shows that somebody whose life straddled the 15 and 1600s knew their contractions. You can go 
further back. So the expression willy-nilly, it's kind of cute. Well, what's nilly? What that was, was that in earlier English, the way that you negated was that you had a little particle no. And so I have, that's one thing. I don't have, I no have to translate older English into modern English. So you had no. So I will, then I no will, say that over and over again, no will, no, no, nil. And so nil meant I won't. So that's what willy nilly was. If you wanted to say I was, I was. If you wanted to say that you weren't, that you not was, then I knows, I nuz, nuz, nuz. And so you say I nas. That's how older English worked. We're actually in Middle English here. So it isn't that people didn't contract in the past. It's easy to imagine that people didn't, but that's just an accident of the way older people's way of expressing themselves comes down to us. It's because, first of all, until rather recently, of course, nobody was recorded. And so we experience people speaking in the past on paper. And once people were rendered on paper, then it tended to be in a more formal way than they would have actually expressed themselves. And so it can seem as if everybody, but maybe the most low-down vernacular sorts of people, didn't contract as much in the past because we only see them rendered in what you could call their Sunday best. And then also, even when you get into recording in old movies, people contract, but not as much because especially in the old movies, say movies before, it's arbitrary, but before 1966 and in a different language, there'd be a different word for movie for films before 1966. In them, there's still the overhang of the old theatrical tradition, unamplified theater where you had to enunciate. And so people don't contract as much. And so it can seem as if our grandparents and great grandparents were more likely to say I am than I'm. But it's just not true. And you can get some little mistakes that don't matter. You know, the kinds that are fun to think about because they don't really matter. Mad Men, for example, was so precise in rendering 1960 through 1970 down to every last detail. If somebody has some cereal, they're going to have the actual cereal box from that year. But with speech, sometimes they would mess up a little bit because the writers had a sense that if somebody was at a party in 1962, say, they were going to contract less than sloppy people after, say, I guess, 1970 and the Coke commercial. And so, for example, this is a random. People are at an outdoor party and Harry Crane's wife, Jennifer, gets up and says that she wants to go see some people. Listen to how she says it. They want to know we're having a good time. Want to know. Especially given the way people drank back then. If she had a gin and tonic or two in her, she would have said, I wanna. She wouldn't have said, want to, just because she's wearing crisp clothes and there's saturated color. That was that idea that people spoke in a more formal way, even in informal settings back in the past. You know what else was wrong there? Jennifer. That woman's name is Jennifer Crane. No, that wouldn't have been her name. Jennifers, who were 30, were very rare in 1962 or three, even if she was named after Jennifer Jones. That's too late. She would have had a different name. Another thing, Megan. The Megan character was wrongly named. I've been told by French Canadians that that woman at that time would have been named Claire or Rosemarie, not Megan. Anyway, these are trivial things. Point being, people did contract 
in the past. People have been contracting since the year zero in any language. Now, notice that so far, this isn't a show. I can't just leave you with that. To do the essence of this requires pulling the camera back, so to speak. We've got to understand that it's not really about contractions. Contraction as a general phenomenon is a symptom of language change in general. It's like the tides. The tides are a symptom of something larger. It's not just, oh goodness, look at the water moving. It's a symptom of gravitational pull, which creates all sorts of other things. So if we're going to think about contraction, if we're going to have an episode about contraction, then really we have to treat it as what it is, which is as a demonstration of an essence of language that is extremely difficult to perceive from day to day for various reasons. And that's that language is like a lava lamp. What I mean is this. We have to think about how sounds change, how words change over time, and how inherent this is to this thing that we're ever speaking at any given moment. So, for example, let's imagine the word sock. Get the kind of funky object out of your mind. Just think of the sequence of sounds. Sock. Now, sock is a sequence of sounds which, if you're thinking with your linguist hat on, is just pregnant to become something else. And that's because sounds are always changing bit by bit, just like the clouds in the sky. So, for example, s, a, k. Let's take all three sounds. S. S often becomes sh after a while. You can imagine, just move your tongue a little. S, sh. So, s, sh. You know, move up 500 years, the s might become a sh. Sh then might become j. If you think about it, sh and je are the same sound. It's just that je has a little more belly in it. So you go from s to sh, which sounds like maybe just an old person where there's something going on with the teeth saying s, then sh can go to je. But that means that you'll have a je that was once a s. That's just the way things go. Now, s, a, k, a. A might become all because the sounds are right next to each other. It's just like many people today will say, oh, look, I caught a fish, or sushi is raw sushi. Whereas I would say, in my particular dialect, that it's raw fish, and that in order to create it, somebody caught a fish. Ah, 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 ah. They're variations on the same thing. Often the sound ah becomes all. Now, once you say ah, you're pretty close to o, ah, oh, ah, ah, which means that an ah can go through ah and become an o. Oh happens all the time. The word stone used to be stan. The word bone used to be ban. Ah, ah, oh. So, s can go to je. Ah can go to o. O, if you kiss a little more, is u. O, u. Happens all the time. The word moose used to be mos. So, that means you can go from ah to ah to o to u, meaning that an u maybe used to be an ah. That's how things go. So, s, ah, k. Now, k, might become a g, put a little belly into it, happens all the time, especially at the end of a word, k, g. Then g might become a g, gets a little air in it. You don't always feel like putting the two parts of your mouth together, just let something slide through, that's close enough. And so, k, g, h. Then the h might become nothing. So, for example, the word day in English started out as dog, then dog, then die. And then notice that die is kind of a stupid way of saying day. That's how it happened. And then it could just become da. That's how sounds are. So, s-a-k could become shog, and then zhu, and then zhu. And so, sock can become zhu, 
And that can happen step by step by step. Nobody who says zhu knows that it used to be sock unless the language happens to be written. So that you've caught these earlier stages. That's how language goes. That's the norm. The sounds are always changing. Not in a lifetime that much, but it happens over time. That's how you get from something like a language that was spoken by a tribe in southern Ukraine to most of the languages of Europe now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you can go to Ukraine. They're these people. They had wheels. They were patrilineal. They had metal. They had a thing about horses. You can learn all of that from the graves. And we can reconstruct that their word for eight was okto. Okto. Okay. Well, based on these same processes, okto can become ahta. That was what it was by the time people had left southern Ukraine and moved to the much more beckoning territory of what is today Lower Denmark, by the time they got there, it would have been achta. Linguist, this is Proto-Germanic. Now, Old English, achta, has become ette, ette. There's a short step from ette, drop the e, and you've got et. And then, I don't know why I'm whispering it, just for the drama, but let's keep that tone. Et becomes eight. So, you go from okto to achta to ette to eight. That's how it went, except there is no whispering. It's from octo to eight. So that's what language does. That's what every language has always done. What I'm speaking now is just one step along an endless process of that sort of thing happening to every single word in the language. That explains lots of things. It's not just contractions, but it explains why people sound funny when they say certain things. And so when I came to New York, for example, I was at a Burger King, I think, and it was the first time I had ever heard anybody say sandwich instead of sandwich. I had just never heard that. And because the person who said it clearly had a sense of humor, you can't do this with everybody, but I said, excuse me, yes, in my corny voice, I said, excuse me, did you just say sandwich? And she said, yeah. And I said, I'm a linguist. That's just interesting. And I just left her alone. But then I thought to myself, okay, why sandwich? And it's interesting. My five-year-old is now saying sandwich. And nobody in our house says sandwich. And one response to listening to somebody say sandwich is to say, fuck's that. Okay. But usually there's a systematic reason. Think about where wu is. It's kind of a back of the throat thing. Like, it's back there. Well, that means that the d gets attracted to the back there. That's another way that language is always changing. First of all, the sounds are just changing, but they're also becoming more like each other. It's kind of like people who live together or get married or the way people are said to start to look like their pets, at least in some old cartoons. And so sandwich, well, if words back there, then the dog, dog, g is kind of a d that's back there. So sandwich is perfectly natural. And so my daughter, working her way through the word sandwich, is allowing that D to be kind of like the woo. Oddly enough, this is what I can't explain. I have no idea why this is. She says sandwich two ways. One is sandwich. Then the other way is sandwich. 
For some reason, all of a sudden, she has this British accent when she says it at other times. And to my knowledge, nobody in her house is British. Sandwich makes no sense because she hasn't been watching The Crown with me and my wife. But sandwich makes perfect sense because that's kind of what the word wants to be. So any word is something going on. It isn't this thing set on high in skywriting in the dictionary. It's something going on. We are just watching it go by. Now, I know what you're thinking. Guys with mustaches and three names in Germany wanted to do it. You think if you know how sounds change, then shouldn't it be really easy to trace back to what the original language was like? And the answer to that, for whatever it's worth, is no, because these changes can go in many, many directions. And so s can become sh, but it might become z, it might become a h. There are all sorts of things. And to an extent, which direction the sound is going to go in is a matter of chance. Now, actually, Jeff Goldblum teaches this lesson to Laura Dern in flirting with her in Jurassic Park much better than I could. He's talking about chaos theory, kind of a dumbed down version of it. But listen to this that I'm sure we all remember from Jurassic Park before the uh, really hit the fan dinosaur was. Give me, give me that big glass of water. We're going to conduct an experiment. It should be still. The car's bouncing up and down. But that's okay. It's just an example. Now, put your hand flat like a hieroglyphic. Now, let's say a drop of water falls in your hand. Which way is the drop going to roll off? Of which finger or over the thumb or the other side? Thumb. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Okay, now freeze your hand, freeze your hand. Don't move. I'm going to do the same thing. Start with the same same place again. Right. Which way is going to roll off? Let's say back. Same way. Same way. Same back. Same Change. It changed. Why? Because tiny variations, uh, the, the orientation of the hairs on your hands. Hey, Alan, look at this. Um, the amount of blood distending your vessels, imperfections in the skin. Imperfections in the skin? Uh-huh. and never repeat and vastly affect the outcome that's important. unpredictability so if you understand that with the drop on the back of goldblum's hand i use that in classes i put a piece of chalk on the back of my hand and it always never rolls off in the right way but i'm trying to beat jeff goldblum is that for example the original word for um short in this southern ukraine language was mrech mrech it sounds like something extruded that word can go in many directions. If mrech becomes merry, then we recognize it as our word merry. But then imagine you've got m, you've got your two lips together. I'm not going to talk about blowing, no old movie reference here. You have your two lips together. Well, b is pronounced in that same way. So suppose you said not mrech, but brech. Suppose your e became an ah, which happens all the time. And so you said brach. Then suppose your g became a ch, you made it a little harder. So you get brach. Well, there you've got that brachial, that armal word, brachial, brachial, I don't know. And so mrech, Mary, mrech, brachial. And that word becomes bra in French, which means arm. And we know what bra means in English which means that mrech can come to be all sorts of things depending on which way the sounds happen to develop for whatever reason. And notice also that meanings change as well. So it means that if sock becomes zhu, then if sock meant something like water, then zhu would mean damp or coconut milk or yuck or something. So a word is something going on. 
doesn't feel like it. I know. Part of the reason is because standardization and print tends to hold this sort of thing back from happening as quickly as it would under natural conditions. And so the classic example of that is that we are using the language of Shakespeare. Shakespeare is further from us than we often think, but it is certainly the English language that we know. Whereas Shakespeare would have had a hard time having a conversation with somebody from 500 years before, not only in Old English. That's not really the proper example because the pathway from Old English to Middle English was rather unusual because the Vikings basically beat the hell out of Old English. But even early Middle English would have been practically a different language much of the time to Shakespeare in a way that Shakespeare is not to us because print and standardization have come in since Shakespeare. But here's an example of what language does normally. Let's use an example of our own language. Let's go back to this, this black country that I talked about last time. I'm on kind of a black country kick lately because it's really handy. A lot of the negative forms in black country English. And so we say, I don't. There's a contraction if you think about it, because we say do. How come we don't say don't? Don't. Very typical process where the vowel sound changes as well as the words coming together. So don't. You can imagine maybe saying don't in a certain kind of British or maybe Australian accent. So I don't. I don't. And then if you keep saying that and nobody's thinking about the page, it might get shorter. And next thing you know, from don't to day. So I don't. I don't. I day. In black country English, I don't is I day. So if you heard somebody saying that, you would have no idea what they meant. Same thing. I can't. Well, for us, it's stuck on the page as I can't, and so it never changes. If you are a person in the black country or a person in the black country until relatively recently, and you're speaking the local kind of English, and it has nothing to do with the page, almost nobody ever writes it down, well, can't is going to keep going. It went to core. So you there comes out as yo. That's a whole different thing. So you can't yo core. Now, imagine that sort of thing having happened to all sorts of words that we're used to. And then imagine somebody having a conversation. That's what language normally does. But it has to do it when nobody is watching to smack it on the back of the head for changing. Black country English is a great example of that. Here is an example of older people. It's interesting, older, like older than what? Frankly, they're just old. Old people in the black country having a conversation. And to be honest, I cannot get a word of what these people are saying after a certain point. I'm going to start you where I know intellectually that they're saying yokor, which means that you can't. But as for the rest of it, something about pipes and water, I, I assume these people are speaking English. It's not Frisian. It's not German. It's not Turkish. It's not Navajo. And yet, you know, I would have to play it many more times than I've had occasion to, to understand what they're saying. This is real English that gets to run along. So listen to these people. You'll go get it now. You'll go get water for that now. And what they used to do with the stamps is, you know, I'm not pulling out a leg. I've seen them go in the stamp. They put out eight me for the stamp. Eight me stamp. Put it in and work it slow. And they've had about three stamps out of there for eight me. So that's how language goes. Language is a lava lamp. Remember? No, most of you don't remember, but you've probably seen pictures of them. You know those lamps with that 
toxic squelch of something and it was usually pink or lavender and it would just go and just kind of move around in that lamp nowadays i guess you can get those at spencer's if those stores still exist it must have been fun when those were in vogue i'm not quite old enough for it but especially after hours under certain effects those must have been a lot of fun to just look at but that is what language is like it's just ooching and squelching around and it's never the same as it was before and you kind of wouldn't want it to be because it's dark and you're under some sort of effect and just like the lava lamp and the way it's ooching and squelching like some sort of worm in your dog first it's long and first it's short sound change also means that words shorten you can see how we're going to zero back in on the contractions and so for example imagine somebody saying yes i'm we all know what yesum means. Well, m mm comes from ma'am. That's a shortening right there. Well, what's ma'am? Ma'am is short for madam. Yeah. Well, what's madam? Madam is short for, as in it's a gradual contraction of the Latin mea domina, my mistress. Notice I didn't say mistress. So, m, mm, ma'am, madam, mea domina, mea domina, madam, ma'am, m. Mm. That's where the m mm comes from. Yes starts out as two words. Ga si. It basically kind of means thus be. Ga si. Ga si. Yes. 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 So you have ga si mea domina becomes yes. That's how things go. Here's a French example. August in Latin. Augustus. Obviously, that is the voice of Latin. Augustus. Now. Make it shorter. You've got to drop that oos off of the end. Who needs it? And then, you know, the g might drop out. G to g to nothing. And so Augustus, early French, early French is kind of like this. Oost, like that. Oost. So Augustus, oost. Well, the st is annoying. Oh. Well, keep going. Ooh. That's why the word for August is ooh in French today. It comes from Augustus, perfectly natural process. So contractions. Contractions happen because what language is all about is this change that never stops, just like clouds never stop changing, with sounds sounding like each other, changing into other sounds, and also just wearing away. Remember the word sex episode where I talked about compounds and how compounds like blackboard and blackbird, which in themselves aren't very interesting, can lead to whole new words. So that daisy started out as day's eye. Barn started out as barley arn. Arn meant a building. You know what barley is. Barley arn became a barn. So that contraction process is natural. Or about. That word starts as at by and out. Mash them all together, pull them out from the back of the freezer after a couple years, and that's about. And there are all sorts of contractions now that we don't think of as contractions just because we don't put them in writing much. So for example, you're a Martian, you're learning English, and you're trying to figure out how to express a question in the second person, either singular or plural. Now, of course, in our books, it's, did you eat? Okay, but is that really what you always say? Jeet? Okay. Well, that means that really you've got j and eat. The j is a prefix, essentially. Jeet? Or how do you call people to eat? You could say, let's eat, but you could also say, eat. So you've got that beautiful contraction, not just the let's with the let us, but 
seat. So you've got these prefixes and suffixes that you don't even think about as being in the language, but they're there. Jeet, seat. These are things that we do to speak normal English. Or listen to this clip from Chicago, the musical. Of course, have to throw one of these in here. This is from the Cell Block Tango. Nobody would have thought 20 years ago that the revival of what wasn't a very successful musical in the 70s would now be one of the longest running musicals of all time. Listen to the Cell Block Tango. He had it coming. Now, you know that's catchy. I once had downstairs neighbors who did not like musicals, but they did play Chicago all the time. Now, if you'd have been there, if you'd have seen it, what is that? If you would have been there, if you duh. So, would have duh been there, if you duh seen it. That's normal colloquial English. A lot of us probably wouldn't say it, but just as many of us probably would in unguarded moments, that is a kind of fluently spoken English. Or if it isn't duh, it's duv, which is still a contraction. Or notice the way untutored people and many children would write, if you'd of been there, thinking that's what it is, and you gradually learn that it isn't that. But really, technically, it's just that it wasn't that. The language has changed. So contraction is just everywhere because we're always squeezing things together as we speak quickly. And dams the conditions that prevail. I have no idea why I thought Jimmy Durante was important right there. Please forgive me. But I remember when I thought that I spoke French and I first went to France and for some reason ended up watching a movie with no subtitles because how dare they have movies where they don't have subtitles in France itself. And I had no blessed idea what anybody was saying. This movie might as well have been in Thai. I was almost in tears. And one of the few things that I got was that at one point, the man and the woman were eating and probably about to have sex. And he said, and I thought, wait a minute, I'll bet he's saying that she's pretty. He's saying, but he didn't say he said and these weren't especially slangy people and i thought to myself i'll bet really to be a real french person you have to say instead of and that is that is definitely true listen to this song the first two lines are you're pretty when you smile so it's a whole song called you're pretty all the time it's not the most profound of songs but it's a great linguistic demonstration so listen to this man T'es belle quand tu souris T'es belle tout le temps T'es belle même quand tu ris Qu'on voit tes dents Perfectly ordinary contraction. It's what language does all the time. There are no languages to my knowledge that don't have something that would fall under the definition of contraction. It would be impossible to talk in a way that didn't create contractions. And you can see that an awful lot of what's in any language at its present stage comes from what used to be two or three words. Contraction is just natural. By the way, with that song, there are two things to notice. First of all, that whisperiness in his voice it confirms that he's sincere. 
That's what he's trying to communicate. He could not possibly not mean what he says because he has that little whispery tone. Also, that whispery tone indicates that he is skilled in the amatory arts. I just wanted to point that out in case you weren't catching that from the tone of it all. In any case, I know what else you're asking. You're asking, at least I would ask, and I've had students ask this, if all of this wearing away and erosion is inherent to how language works, then how come language doesn't just wear down to a nub? How does language stay a language that anybody can use? Well, I'm going to leave you in some suspense. Or to put it another way, from one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons. But there are still a few things I don't get. Like, how come we never heard about this until today? Yeah, and what happened to the money you made? Why haven't you hung up your gold record? Since when could you write a song? (laughs) There are perfectly good answers to those questions. But they'll have to wait for another night. Now off to bed. You can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Or to listen to past shows and subscribe, or just to reach out, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. This show was edited, as always, by Mike Volo. And I, as always, am myself, John McWhorter. See you next time. And a one, and a two, and a three. Boom, 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 baby on board. How I'm adored. That sign on my car's window pane. Hello, human fly here. Come on. I stayed up all night buying my underwear. Have you ever felt slightly overwhelmed by all the things that are going on lately in what you might call the culture? Especially if you have reproduced or maybe even if you're just getting tired, you're not out and about the way you used to be. There's this information overload and you want to know what's going on in the culture, but it's getting to the point where you can't take it all in yourself. There's an app for that, so to speak, and it's the Culture Gab Fest podcast, which is a weekly show. You have Stephen Metcalf and Dana Stevens, the Slate film critic, and Julia Turner, who is Slate's editor-in-chief, talking about the week in culture. And that doesn't mean Arthur Fiedler. That means from highbrow to pop, and this is movies, this is TV, we're in the golden age, articles, albums, podcasts, not to mention just memes that are floating around. Let Culture Gab Fest tune you into the culture so that you don't have to go out and gather it yourself.